All right, we've been uh, we've been talking a lot this morning about hope, and um, you know, it, it's funny that I didn't I didn't intend for for this to be like a segue into hope, but but uh, the message I, I kind of felt like the Lord laying on my heart for today, uh, it, it really does does fit. Um, although we're talking about something a little different, uh, and that is uh, revolution. Um, you might say, well, what, what are those two things? That seems like two very different things. And they are, but, um, hope is the, hope is what drives any revolution, right? You you will never, you will never engage us. Maybe I should start with what, what, what do I mean by revolution? Well, just in general, uh, the purpose of a revolution is to bring freedom and, and, and power to a group of people, usually by the overthrow of the government and, and replace that government with a new authority, right? We, we generally know that. That's what a, when we say revolution, that's, that's what we're talking about. Um, but none of that, that doesn't happen without hope. You have to have a hope for something else to pursue a new authority, to pursue a new way of, uh, of living. The, you know, we would all have very um, different accents if, if a, you know, a bunch of guys a couple hundred years ago didn't have hope that things could be different uh, here in, in the, well, at that time, at the, in the, the colonies. That there, maybe there was another way that this thing could go. So... So hope is hope is powerful. It is what it is what drives uh, revolution. But but hope itself, you know, we talked a lot this morning about how, how great it is. But hope itself it, it is only as good as as the object of that hope. And um, if we look in in uh, one thing I love about the Bible is that it, I mean we know it's true. But it always amazes me on how many different levels it's true. When we look at, uh, when I look at, at, at like scripture, at stories in the Bible, and specifically we're going to be looking at the time of Jesus, right? Um, I see multiple things. I see, I see an idea here where, um, where it's true. It was, it's, it's historically true, right? There, it actually happened. Um, and then there's this other layer where it's not only it wasn't always wasn't just true then, but it's also what played out then. We still see today. It's still true, right? People are still people, and and, and we haven't really changed that much. And, and so, uh, and not only do we was it true then in the natural and true now in the natural. Much of the time, not all the time, but much of the time, those, those things that keep repeating in the natural that we see in Scripture are also reflections or um, either maybe reflections of, reflections of or, or just uh, kind of evidences of a spiritual reality that, that is, is going on at the same time. It's it's the same it's the same thing is happening, but it's also being mirrored in in the spirit uh, as well as being played out here on earth, and we see that in in the story of of the gospel of Jesus. 
And so today what I want to do is kind of uh, do a, a quick history lesson of, of not, not all of Jesus' time here on, on earth, obviously, that's, um, that, that would be a lot. We'd be here a while. Um, <laughs> but just the, the, the context in which he came. The people of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth were desperate for a revolution. They were looking for for something or someone that could throw off the Roman uh, oppression that they were living under. They were an occupied people. Um, and, and for them, there had been one that was, that as they understood it, that was going to do this. And they named him, they called him the Messiah. And they were, they were looking for, him, for this coming guy that was going to rearrange and, and bring revolution to Israel and free it once again from the people that were, were, were uh, taking authority over the nation. When Jesus showed up, his country was, was under, uh, under occupation. Many of their, their freedoms were taken. They were forced to pay super high taxes. They, they didn't get to govern themselves. They were taken advantage of, and, and, and they, were, they were largely powerless to do anything about it. Israel was in need of someone to free them from their oppressors and put them back in a place of power. But this was not a new situation for Israel, as you, you may know. Throughout their history, this had happened over and over and over again, right? In the Old Testament, we see account after account of Israel, you know, they, they follow God and they prosper and they're free and then they, they don't. And then somebody comes in and invades them and takes them over and they're, you know, carted off and they're brought back. And it's, it, it, it's an amazing story of, of how uh, God continually was faithful to bring them, bring them back. And so they had hope. They had an expectation that God would send a Savior once again because He had done it before. And the first thing I want to remind us today that I think uh, is important for us when we're, when we're talking about uh, change, revolution, things becoming different in our, in our lives is it, it, it's helpful and it's important that, that we remember the times it's happened before. For Israel, it, 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 they had precedent that they could draw their hope from. Like the judges, the, if you look in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, time and time again, people come and attack, would come and attack Israel, and God would raise somebody up to, to, to lead them back into freedom. Like some of the kings, like David and Josiah, that rose up and led revolu- revolutions and brought freedom and power to their people. This is what the country was looking for when Jesus came on the scene, but it had been 400 years since the last time the Lord had spoken. And the people had grown desperate and divided about what they needed to bring about this revolution. And can I suggest today that we, we find ourselves in that same place today in different ways, desperately looking for something, for someone to bring power and freedom into our lives. 
Can I suggest today that we ourselves are in that place, that, that we are desperately looking for, for to all sorts of things to bring about the freedom that we, we, we hope to have someday or the power to change the circumstances we find ourselves in. And, and, and in Jesus' day, um, there, it, basically there were four groups of people that all had the same goal. Freedom and power for Israel. That was, everybody agreed on that. But what they, they came up with very different solutions as to how, what the best way was to get there. And so today we're going to be looking at these four groups. Um, because I think, as I mentioned before, that, that things repeat themselves and the more things change, they don't really change. And, and, and we, uh, we can fall into these same, um, traps, if you will, these come up with the same answers that they did. And so we're going to look at these four groups. And the first one is, uh, you may have heard this term before, but zealots. The first term was, uh, camp was, was the zealots. This was the, this was a group of, of, these were the, the radicals that were trying to use force to fight the Roman occupation. Revolution by force will bring freedom is kind of their motto. Um, Judas Iscariot, you know, Judas, everyone boo. Uh, <laughs> he, was, he was a zealot. They, they were a, a, a group. Uh, the Romans considered the zealots uh, terrorists because they, they, were, they were in favor of, of taking, trying to take back their freedom and, and regain their power by, by force, by any, any means necessary. If... if if this group had a, a modern-day slogan, it might be, you know, the ends justifies the means. It's, it's one person's, and for us, it's one person's attempt at attaining uh, freedom and power. But the problem with, with this, this attempt uh, f- with the, back then with the zealots and with us today is you can't take something by... Uh, you can't take your freedom by force without a fight. And the problem with gaining freedom by force is that for you to gain it that way, somebody else has to lose it. And it will always be at the expense of someone else. We, we dabble in this same effort. We become zealots in our lives when, when we sacrifice someone else's power and freedom to try and gain some for ourselves. When we decide to belittle or mock somebody to strengthen our own position. When we use uh, things like anger or guilt trips or badgering, or playing the victim to, to gain power over the people around us or in our lives to, to get the freedom or the, or the leverage or the power or get our, just get our way. Now those aren't, those aren't physically violent acts, but they're still acts of force. People only do things sometimes there are, there are people out there that really struggle with their anger, but the reason they struggle with it is mostly because it works for them. I get what I want when I do that. 
For some of us, it's not, it's not anger. It's the same mentality, but it's a different tactic, right? Some, some of us are angry. Some of us play the victim. Or guilt, you know, we, we do the, the, the guilt trip thing where, where we, we just kind of... <laughs> so my, my, my dog, Snickers, um, he, he, he had, thankfully it's not anything horrible, but he just is obsessed with chewing paper and boxes and, of course, kids' toys, right? I, this is like an ongoing, everyday, all-day, never-ending thing. Um, but the problem, and, and it's really annoying because he really doesn't listen to anybody else. Uh, when the kids yell at him, you know, they see him and they're chasing him and he runs away. And, you know, he just kind of dismisses them. Um, but when I yell at him and come at him, he has a very different reaction. It's, he, he goes to this one spot kind of by the front door and he just rolls over on his back and, and he just kind of lays there like, if I don't move, maybe he won't see me. Why does he do that? Well, because because I have asserted my dominance over him, right? And so 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 that's now his go-to move. And we, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's kind of our tactic we take in life. We try and assert our dominance in whatever way we can, so that we can train the people around us to submit to what we want. And we'll use any tactic, any force we can, we can figure out that works, whether it's intimidation coming over the top or whether it's using their own affection for you and your well-being as a, as a tool to, to manipulate them. But force, are, are, it doesn't work. If we try and bring around the change in, in our lives, by these tactics, um, we're always going to be fighting for what we want. Because people will never, people will never choose or want that kind of dynamic and relationship. And so there will always be there will always be strife, and it will only work as long as you do it. No one will choose to sit under that. So that's the first, that was the first group, the zealots and, and force. And we see that, that tactic we tend to do, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. The next group was a group called the Essenes. And uh, the Essenes were an interesting group. They were what kind of what we would picture maybe as uh, like modern, or not modern day, but, but what you would picture when you think of, of like a monk, right? So the, the Essenes, uh, their idea was isolating from the world will bring freedom. That the world and the, the natural world and people are, are bad and, and evil. And so their thinking was, if I can just get away from it all, then maybe I will be safe and experience freedom. And so they would literally go out in the desert and like, you know, like Ben Kenobi in, in the first episode of Star Wars, like just get a cave in the corner of this desert world, and everyone leave me alone. I'm just going to live like, like a hermit. Now, you may say, well, that's, you're like, I'm not a prepper. Like, <laughs> I don't have a bunker somewhere. 
And that's, that may be true, but, but there's different layers of this. You may, may not be doing it physically, but how many of us, if we we're honest, are sometimes our go-to reaction is to withdraw. Withdraw from, from our emotions or withdraw from relationships or, or withdraw from, from the problem, whatever's going on. Your, your goal, these people's, there's, these people's kind of strategy for, for bringing life change and, and, and resolution in, in, in the form of, in, in the face of, of struggle is, is to run away, is to hide. The problem with withdrawing is, as, as one philosopher said, uh, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. You, 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 can't, you can't run away from yourself. And if, we've been, um, if we have been victimized and we withdraw and we cut ourselves off, yes, we maybe cut ourselves off in theory from, from threats, but we also cut ourselves off from, from any uh, chance or, or chance of help. If you're, if you're depressed and you, you shut yourself in a room, all you've done is put yourself in a room full of depressed people. Ecclesiastics 4.10 says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but, but, one who are, but people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. <laughs> I, love, I love the way he, he phrases that. Just, it's so, so straightforward. Listen, freedom, power, uh, revolution, transformation in our life never is found by running away. And and for some of us, this this is a this is a this is a go-to move in our life. We run we run away from our emotions. We run away from people. We run away from from situations. We run away from from, from churches. There's a real there's a real problem in 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 at least Western um, Christianity of I mean you've heard the term church hopper. One of the reasons that we have this I think is is this is this flawed tactic for pursuing freedom is you go to a church and it's great and then it's it's wonderful and things are going well until. Someone, someone gets to know you too close, or, or there's, there's, there's a conflict that arises, or, or, or something comes out that, that you don't particularly agree with. And, and for some, the, the reaction, their, their instinct is, well, time to pick up and move on. The problem with that is you, you, will, never be, uh, you will never really be truly known, and you will never have, have ever develop deep enough relationships for, for God to use them to transform you into the people that he wants us to be. But running away doesn't work. The Essenes were wrong. Another group was, that was wrong was the, the third group we'll talk about, and this is probably the most, most famous or you'll be the most familiar with, and that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Uh, their idea was that following the law would bring freedom. That you could you can get freedom through legalism. If I can if I can just be good enough, if I can just if we can just follow the laws, and specifically with the the Pharisees, their their specific belief was this that that if they could get 
sounds, may sound a little silly, but they, they really believe if they could get the whole nation of Israel to just be, uh, just follow all the rules for one whole day, then God would send the Messiah and revolution would start. That's literally what they believe. And, and so their, their, whole, their whole goal was, was behavior modification because to them, uh, uh, being right with God was literally because they're, they're thinking, you know, Old, Old Testament. It's about just we have to keep the law. And so, so they had to keep the law. So these were the guys, these were the original uh, bureaucrats, right? Uh, they, 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 would, they would have worked famous, wonderfully in, in our government system where you had these, they had these 10 laws that they had to protect, right? The 10 commandments that we just got to get everybody to, to obey these, but people aren't. So what are we going to do? So I know let's make some more rules uh, around these rules to protect those rules. Uh, kind of like a, like a, like a fence. And then that didn't work. So what'd they do? Well, maybe we need to back it up and we'll make some more rules to protect those rules. So that rule is, is and, and that didn't work. So they, they just kept adding rules until finally, uh, uh, by the time Jesus rolled around, their rules, I think it was something like 647 laws, religious laws that they had instituted to try and keep the 10 so that everyone would be good enough for the Messiah. Um... It didn't work. Um, it, it, it was never going to work. Um, because at the end of the day, we can't be good enough. Aside from the fact that they misunderstood the Messiah and his mission and all of those things. Uh, we, there, was, there was no way because we can't be good enough. And when we, and legal, the problem with legalism and, and, and this strategy, because we still see it in the church. We still do, this is still a tactic we use, right? Well, this is wrong. So just to be safe, that's the phrase of the legalist, right? Just to be safe, this is now wrong. And then they hear a story about somebody's cousin who did this and it led to that. So now we're going to do this. Now that's wrong, Right? And somehow, fast forward five years, and it's like questioning people's salvation if their, their shoes aren't the right shape when they come to church. We can't follow, we can't be good enough to earn revolution. It's never going to happen. As Romans chapter 3 says, uh, no one is good, not one. And so uh, this, is a, this is for all my rule followers out there. There's nothing wrong with, with, with following the rules. It'll, it, it, will, it will help you in life. <laughs> Take it for someone who has experience Doing the opposite. On my Facebook profile, it says, uh, under education, it says, studied at the School of Hard Knocks. Um, because I, for years, lived that, 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 that beautifully stupid idea that I just need to know things for myself. Right? I just want to experience it. I just need to know 
that I know. Yeah, didn't work out too well for Adam and Eve. Didn't work too well for me. So if you are a, if you are a natural rule follower, that's good. But that in itself is not going to bring the transformation in your life or the relationship, the intimate relationship with the God of the universe that you want. It'll be an ally. It can support that pursuit, but it in itself will never do it. That was the Pharisees. So force doesn't work, we see. Running away doesn't work. Being good enough, following the rules doesn't work. And then there was one final group. Um, and they were known as just generally as collaborators. Collaborators. And their idea was that compromise will bring freedom. These were, these were the, the, the tax collectors. And, and uh, tax collectors were, were Jews that the Roman government tasked with collecting the tributes and the taxes for everybody. They were largely corrupt people. Um, the disciple Matthew was a tax collector. Herods, who were the, the kind of installed as the, govern, the governor of, of, the, the, of the Israel, of the different areas, um, was a Jew that was propped up. It was somebody handpicked by the Roman government to kind of be a proxy to exert their will on the people in a way that, that, that at least on the surface made it look a little better because there was a Jew up there at least. They believed that it was too radical to look for some res revolution at all. And so the best thing to do was to just accept the situation, go with the flow, and make the best of it. The problem is compromise will will kill you. Just a little, maybe a little more slowly. You know, we, 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 know, we know porn's bad, but, but uh, you know, that HBO movie isn't series. That's not, not porn. It's a story. Okay, maybe there's some naked people in it every week, but still. This class is unfairly hard, and I'm, I'm just evening the odds. My, 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 my boss doesn't, they don't pay me enough for this job. At least not for me to do it as the best I can. I don't really feel like I owe that person the whole truth. because they're just going to use it against me. Or I know that they'll be mean to me if I tell them I didn't, I didn't do that thing I said I was going to do. And it's so dangerous because it feels safe-ish. And there's such a pull from within our souls to go with the flow. But the problem is some of the worst things in history have been done for the... Nothing for no other reason than it was just easier to, to give in, to go with the flow, than to fight it. 
the guards at Auschwitz during the Holocaust were, many of them were, were finally, you know, uh, World War II, the, the, the good guys win. And um, many of the, the, the guards at Auschwitz were, were set on trial, right, um, for war crimes, for, for, you know, genocide. And rightfully so. We want the we want people like that to be to be monsters. When we hear about that, you know, a, a guarded Auschwitz, we picture these these evil, demonic, just bloodthirsty people. But but the the truth is, the sad truth is, they looked and acted and thought and felt a whole lot more like us than we wish they did. In a letter in 1962, as a last-ditch effort for, for clemency, uh, one of the guards wrote that, that he and other low-level officers uh, were forced to serve as mere instruments, shifting the responsibility for the deaths to, to, to the people above them, saying that they were just following orders. This has come to be known, and maybe you've heard before, as the Nuremberg Defense. But that same year, uh, Stanley Milgram, a, a Yale University psychologist, did a, did a bunch of uh, experiments that tested whether ordinary folks would inflict harm on another person after, after following orders from an authoritative figure. Shockingly, the, the results were very bad, uh, a very bad indictment for all of us because they were able to show that that with very, very consistent results, people were willing to, at least from their own belief, inflict pain, physical pain on somebody just because someone who they saw as an authority figure told them to. Compromised mostly just happens in our lives because it's, it's easier but it'll never bring freedom. And not one of man's strategies can bring freedom or power in our lives that will last. And so you have all these camps, and if we you know, go back to, to Israel 2,000 years ago, we have all these groups vying for trying to figure out these strategies, the best way to cope with this, this oppressor, this Roman uh, power that has come to subjugate them, and, and, and none of it was working. It's just like our lives. We, we live our lives outside of Christ. We live our lives with these same strategies, trying to free ourselves, trying to, to liberate our own souls, trying to empower ourselves to do what we want to do, and none of it's working. And that's why Jesus, 2,000 years ago, had to come with a revolutionary strategy of his own. Jesus was such a revolutionary, even his revolution was revolutionary. <laughs> Jesus' revolution says, I will bring freedom if you will receive my love, give up your own attempts at freedom, and follow me. Jesus' answer to the question of how, how do I get freedom is, is the opposite. Because everything in his kingdom is opposite. If you want freedom, you give surrender. Because you're surrendering to something in your life. 
You're surrendering to one of the, you're, you're, you're picking one of these camps to live in, in any, any given day. Some, if you're anything like me, you're in multiple camps at different times during the day, right? Sometimes I'm over here with the Essenes. That's usually for my emotions. I'll hide. Or I run over here, you know, with the, the zealots when, when I, and I feel like I have the intellectual upper hand and I can kind of, you know, logic my way over somebody to make them do what I want. But we can't be in any of those camps and in Jesus' camp. Because when he comes, he says, your choice is all of that, any of that, or me. Not both. Colossians chapter 2, he says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your, your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus' strategy isn't a strategy. It's a person and it's himself. Listen, freedom doesn't come by strategy. It's a person. The power you need in your life, you can't generate it. That's the problem with all of the other solutions, so-called solutions, all the camps. The power source of them at the end of the day, regardless of the tactic, was still the person. And none of us have that power. And so Jesus comes and he offers us not to give us the power, but he offers us his power. The power we need in life. It can only be given to you. Jesus wants us free, but he wants us free his way. And Jesus wants to empower because he wants us to be like him. And the way that happens is, is surrender. We're going to close in just a minute, Lily, if you want to come on up. And so my question for you this morning is, what is it in your life that falls into one of these camps? As I said, you, we and and God is so gracious because He knows us. He knows. He knows that that uh, this is a a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and and I could we can we can do this message today, and in ten years from now, um, I could pull this back out because we will have all forgotten it, and. And it would just be as applicable then as it is now because God willing, we'll have, we'll have matured, but there'll be a whole other set of things that we can uh, look at in our lives and evaluate. But today, what is, what, what is, what is on your heart? Is we, what camp, is there one of these camps that, that as we were talking this morning that maybe stood out? You say, yeah, I do run to that camp sometimes. I do do that. 
great opportunity this morning to do some business with God. To surrender that to Him. Because even overcoming those other, getting those other camps, running them out of our life, it's not something you can do on your own. Even if you want to, it won't happen by your will. It happens by surrendering your will and surrendering those things to God. And by his spirit, he won, he cleanses us from the sin of it, and he empowers us to overcome it. So if you guys want to stand, we're going to be done in just, just a minute. Is there a camp that today in your, your heart and in your mind, you know, yeah, I've, I've been in this camp too long or too often. So this morning we're gonna we're gonna end with a with a song, a simple song. to be um, a vehicle, a a song of confession, a song of of commitment, of of doing, uh, going to God. It's, you know, worship, worship music, singing songs should be primarily uh, prayer, right? It is is a part of our prayer life. Sometimes it's helpful to have language for the things that we're if there's a if there's a thing in your life that you feel like you 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 know the Lord has been convicting you this morning or you want to take to Him, I would encourage you to sing this song as your confession. It's a simple song; many of you probably know it, and it just talks about surrendering everything to Him. And so, if there's so we're all going to sing this together, but if there's something specific, I want you just as you're not talking to me, you're, you're talking to God. If there's something specific that you want to surrender to Him as we sing, I just encourage you, we just raise your hand. Just raise your hands to say, as a symbol of saying, God, this is what I'm giving you. I'm giving you my, my anger. I'm giving you my, my, whatever, my compromise. I'm giving you my, my manipulation. Whatever it is.
are good and a loving God. And unlike us, you don't play games. You don't play tricks. You're not insecure. And the only reason you want us to give all of these, these things, these efforts up and make us feel so vulnerable when we do is because you have something better for us. So this morning, God, we, we, we take another step in putting our hope in you, our trust in you. We say we're laying these things down. We're going we're gonna to hope in you instead. We're going to surrender to what you want us to do. We're not going to compromise anymore. We're not going to try and force our own way in ways that are out of bounds of how you have told us to live. God, by your grace, would you grant us the grace to, to not withdraw not compromise but to stand stand with you to stand for you we love you Jesus we thank you for for your forgiveness we thank you for your grace that empowers us as we enter this this Advent season of just celebrating the fact that you years ago, what you've done every day since, and you did again today, you came to us. I pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Happy Sunday, guys. See you next week.